Hello guys and welcome to this week's episode of the Legal Leverage Podcast. Today we have a slightly different episode. Today we're listening to a recent podcast interview that I did when I was on Lauren O'Sullivan's Legally Different show. In this episode, Lauren was asking me about why I consider myself to be legally different, why and how I've approached the legal market in a different way than most do, and why I chose to create a completely different type of firm that exists to genuinely help people grow and scale their business. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure to head on over to the Legally Different podcast and give that a follow if you're interested in hearing more. Guys, make sure to also give our podcast a review wherever you listen to it, whether it's on Apple or Spotify. It really helps our ratings and allows us to keep bringing you valuable content every week. Enjoy! Hey Barbara, welcome! Hi Lauren, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm a little bit pink and um, I keep noticing, well, I don't notice, people keep telling me that I'm the same colour as my logo, but when the <laughs> You're on brand. <laughs> I'm on brand. <laughs> Is that after all the sunshine we've been having? Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, I was basically, I fell asleep, well, I was outside all weekend and then I fell asleep in the sun on Sunday um, and my, my fiance keeps saying to me, put on sun cream. And I'm like, don't be ridiculous. We're not going to have this sun again. So I'm just topping up for the year. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And yeah, for anyone listening, because no doubt knowing the weather, by the time you listen to this, it'll be grey and cold. We're literally having a major heat wave at the time of recording this. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and Barbara was just telling me about some funny Scottish memes she's seen. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But it's as if, they're saying it's as if um, people like somebody's just dropped the sun on our country. Like nobody knows how to cope. <laughs> So where are you based at the moment? I always get this wrong. Are you in Ireland, but you're Scottish qualified or the other way around? Yeah. You got that right. So oh. um, Scottish, Scottish and English qualified. Um, and like, well, almost, I'm almost, by the, at the time of recording, almost Irish qualified. It's a very long process, but I'm hopefully only a few weeks off now. Um, but yes, I live in Ireland, but my firm is a UK firm run out of the UK. Most of my staff are in the UK. And um, I just live just outside of Dublin. Mm, amazing. Yeah, very eclectic. You've got all bases covered there. <laughs> Everything covered. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so we'll definitely dive into more about Jameson Law because I love what you've created with it. Um, but yeah, let's make a start, I guess, right back at the beginning then. Um, why did you decide to become a lawyer? Like, yeah, what was your journey into law and, and why did the legal seed first become planted? Well, you know, I would, I've been asked this question so many times, so probably if you, every lawyer's asked this question so many times, and I think people want to hear this answer of like, I was really drawn to justice. Um, no, not remotely. I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And I had good grades and I always thought I wanted to be a doctor and then realised I didn't kind of looked at all the courses at uni and it was the only one that I wasn't like, oh, that's awful. Um, so I thought, I'll just do that. Because I actually saw a law degree as just like, you know, like a tick of competence, you know, you can go, you can do a really good degree and then it'll open a bunch of doors for you. Um, and I certainly, I mean, in Scotland, we have a four-year degree. Obviously, England is three. Um, so certainly for the first two years, I was very much like, this, this, is, this needs to be over soon. I didn't really enjoy it that much. 
Um, but the second two years, I absolutely loved it. And I would have never put myself down as wanting to be a lawyer until I kind of get into third and fourth year and um, started doing more commercial stuff. I mean, leave it to me to be like, no, I don't want to do law based on the fun, sexy stuff, but put me in a commercial banking class and I'm right on it. <laughs> what I want to do with my life. Um, but yeah, no, just, I really enjoyed it from there and then kind of just ended up on the track of like kind of um, post-grad, traineeship, qualifying, etc. That was never the plan, but it kind of just ended up that way. Mm, amazing. And yeah, your entry into law, it does sound like, yeah, a lot of people have a similar entry. Basically, they were getting good academic grades and they thought, oh, shall yeah. I be a lawyer, an accountant or, or a doctor? Um, yeah. But it sounds like, that kind of worked out for you and you eventually found out, found something in the law that you loved, even the stuff that usually puts people off, you love. I know, it's so funny when you heard of it, you even like, oh, isn't family law great or isn't criminal great? And I was like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> let's do a bit of tax. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> So what was you, your path from there? So you said, obviously, you became qualified and everything, but like uh, yeah. what kind of uh, firm did you go for? Where exactly did you qualify? Um, so I trained at McLean, Murray & Spence, who were one of the top four firms in Scotland at the time. They're now Dentons. Um, so I trained and qualified there. I did, it was, it was very commercial traineeship. It was um, like banking, corporate, financial services, bit of commercial property. Um, I did that um, while, I mean, I think it is a little different in England. It's a two-year traineeship in Scotland. While I was doing that, I also studied for the New York Bar at the same time. So I, I self-studied that, um, basically because I was wow. a trainee, I had, no, I had no money. So I, I just kind of did it myself, got some second-hand books and taught myself. Um, so I, I ended up qualifying in Scotland in like the May and then New York in, in like June or something like that. Um, so I had the two under my belt then, but I, I started out in Glasgow, qualified in Edinburgh, and then I stayed with McLean's um, for about a year just after qualification in Edinburgh. Um, and I qualified into financial services and funds, so financial funds. Mm. Oh, wow. So you truly international with the New York qualification yeah. as well. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then I did California... Two, two years after that. Um, yeah, two years what, after that. What was yeah. the draw for that side of things? Oh, God knows. Like, I, I don't even know. Like, I think, I think at the time, at the time, you know, when we were at uni and everybody was saying to us, you know, you've got to go out and get your traineeship, etc. It was just post-crash. And there were, there were no traineeships. And it was very, it was very difficult to get one. So the fact that I got one was like fantastic. And I was really pleased with that. But once you got kind of halfway through, then they started banging the drum of there's no jobs. And although you're qualified, which at least, at least is better than not getting a traineeship in the first place, there's no jobs. So you have to do something that makes you look a little bit different in case your firm can't keep you on. Now, at the end of the day, my firm did keep me on, but that wasn't by any means certain for anyone. Um, and, and we all heard these horror stories. English lawyers probably hear it too, um, that qualifying into England is just a nightmare. Um, so for some reason, I just completely bypassed that as a route and thought, you know what, I'll go into my New York bar. That's a bit different. Um, it was absolutely brutal. Um, but I did it. And I'm delighted I did it, actually, um, because it comes in really handy now. 
Um, but yeah, it was just just been a bit daft, really. And then and then the old like I always liked the fact that everybody always said that the New York bar exam was the hardest exam in the world, the hardest legal exam in the world. And so I always liked that. And then everybody started saying that it was the California one, and I was like. Can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, can't be having have that. that. No, so I went to do the California one. And I thought, I've already done the New York one. This wouldn't be that bad. Oh my God. It was a whole other minefield. And um, it was it was horrendous. It was it's 18 hours of exams. So it's three days. And um, like a three-hour session in the morning, a three-hour session in the afternoon for three days in a row. Absolutely brutal, especially on jet lag. Um, it's horrendous. Um, but now, now they're bringing in all these changes where you don't need to set the bar in each state and things, and you can set one exam. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake, I should just have waited. But <laughs> like, I'm glad I did it. I'm delighted to do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that. You were like, I need to be the best. If California is the hardest, I need to do that. It's like, you're not taking this from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you obviously started your kind of professional career in law and at yeah. what point so we now now we know now you've obviously transitioned away from that and created your own um yeah. law firm but mm-hmm. what point like what what got you to that point like when did you begin to feel off or unfulfilled like what was showing up for you that yeah. made you think hmm this isn't really for me long term or well I think I kind of I probably was there for quite a long time and didn't really realize that I was there so like I came out of private practice after a year and went in-house, which everybody told me at the time I was mad to do because I don't really think it's the same now, but there was definitely still a stigma that in-house lawyers weren't as good as private practice lawyers, which is absolute nonsense. Mm. It's complete nonsense. You just specialise differently. Um, You just become much more commercial. You're not may not be specialist in that one area of private practice, but you, you, you become more of a business-focused solicitor. Um, so I came out of private practice, went in-house, um, and I worked in a financial services firm. I was there, I think, for about three and a half years, um, and I, did, I kind of sat between legal and compliance there, so did all the legal work. But because it was a regulated firm, there was a lot of kind of like FCA stuff and, and financial regulatory stuff to get done. So, so I kind of straddled those two departments and really the only le- reason that I left was because it was a very, it was a very flat structure. So there was nowhere to go um, with my role, but I, I probably would have been happy there in a business rather than a law firm forever if there had been progression. Um, but the, the, the problem was that there wasn't. So, so when I left there, I mean, at this point I'm still living in Edinburgh, so it's not the same as, as London like there, there's not the same opportunities particularly for financial lawyers like you really you kind of need to go to London pretty much um for, for the same opportunities so there was one um there was one role a financial role and it was it was a department in a bigger firm in in Edinburgh where they were it was a corporate department but they were trying to grow the financial side um and I went there and oh hated it hated it and and I really thought you know when I was going back in I was thinking maybe private practice wasn't it wasn't that bad <laughs> I mean, the reason I'd left in the first place was because I mean we all work long hours as lawyers but I think if you have a drive for what you're doing and and you really believe in what you're doing and you and you love what you're doing then that's fine like I, the hours I work now are, are way worse than that than I than I worked 
for somebody else because we're still in the early stages but it's not the same um, and I think the whole kind of sitting at your desk to be seen and competing with other people and stomping all over other people is just it's just not my vibe and mm. and you know there wasn't that in-house at all um, and then when I went back to private practice I kind of re-remembered all the things and then there was a lot of just basically everything that I tried to make my firm not like so not treating clients that well um, over quote well over overcharging based on quotes dumping time on files because that client can afford it and um, I'm not saying let's let's all be poor and not have successful businesses but you have to be fair in my opinion and 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 you, you know we're taught the whole way through our legal training that or to put the interest of the client first but throwing time on there or, or charging double you know what they've been quoted without actually telling them I, I just I just don't think it's good business and it just wasn't for me mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's interesting how you could see that in a more powerful potent way having gone in-house and coming back as well yeah, well, as an in-house solicitor, if there were specialisms that we needed to outsource, like we had some, like, for instance, some Cayman Island funds, and so we'd have to go to Cayman solicitors, and if they quoted four grand and then came back with a six grand invoice, our immediate reaction was no. Like, <laughs> you never told us, so no. We would have happily paid it if you'd given us a heads up, but we agreed on four grand. And um, so then when I went back out to private practice, I was like, this isn't on, like you can't, the client's not going to accept this and you're just going to sever the relationship. So what's the point? Mm, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because you are lit in like the client's shoes effectively. So you could really yeah. see it on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And was anything else coming up other, other than the way kind of like the practice was run, um, anything else notable that made you think right that's it I need to make a change again um like I hate I hate to bang the drum about this stuff but it's it's females females in the legal sector um it's it's not changed as much as it people think it has changed it hasn't changed and I have friends who and, and colleagues that I you know that I've worked with before who are extremely talented lawyers very senior and have been told that they'll never be partner or they'll never even be at a senior level you know they'll never be a director or a senior associate however the firm is structured because they're female or or and or because they have kids um, and it's been told to them fairly bluntly um, or things like oh you you can't socialize at nine o'clock at night so how can we have you as a partner and 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 even if you put that aside and put aside the fact that women seem to not be able to progress they're getting on my soapbox a bit about this but they're not treated no, the same. Go for it yeah they're not treated the same mm. um and and i even in my own firm have to fight to be treated the same as a male lawyer by my clients sometimes um but in a firm that just allows it to happen like and, and i say a firm it's it's all the firms it's it's well that's a sweeping generalization but it's a lot of them and um, it's not one firm in particular and it's just it's it's male dominated and it's it's very hard for women to break through that I think mm-hmm. yeah that's so interesting and yeah I completely agree I've seen that and heard tons of stories um 
Yeah. And isn't it wild? Like, are we still, what age are we still stuck in when it's like, oh, to socialize? Yeah, you have to come out for drinks till nine o'clock to socialize and make good connections. Um, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. And it actually just, it goes against everything because it goes against women having children, men having children. It goes against work-life balance. It goes against like healthy living. Like, like your staff have to be out drinking with clients. Like, yeah, everybody can drink if they choose to. But the fact that it's an enforced part of the legal industry is mental. Yeah. Mental. I just, I just, I just, I just. Yeah. (laughs) I used to do that quite a lot in my younger junior days and enjoyed it. But I think it was part of the thing like, oh, I'm going to an event with free champagne. You know, when you're a bit like bright eyed and bushy tails. (laughs) enjoyed it and like got a lot from it in terms of networking and business for the firm and but then like when I took myself away from it I was like but that's not sustainable that's not life like I don't I spend enough time in the office already and I don't want just that stuff doesn't feel good anymore I don't want to invest it and there's other ways to make connections with people absolutely like I loved it as well when I was in my 20s absolutely loved it I thought it was great but you can't like it, it seems like it has to be a choice do you continue yeah. that lifestyle until you're 30 40 50 and then you'll do well in your job or do you focus on the things that let's face it really matter family relationships health and then you don't get to progress over here like it shouldn't be one or the other exactly and it can be you can have everything and like um what I've stepped into more and the firm you've created show that you can have both and you don't need to um sacrifice success whatever your version of success is because of certain lifestyle choices and it can be done and that's the progressive pioneering way that we are starting to see crop up for sure absolutely yeah no, I love that I could talk about that all day. So yeah, I welcome anyone getting on the soapbox about that, definitely. Oh, don't get me started. You'll never shut me up. <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, you finally realise that's it. I've come back to private practice. I've tried it again, but that is it. I'm done. So yeah. what was your next step from there? Um, so, well, I mean, I lasted three months back in that firm and I was just, and you know, you're, you're doing that thing where you think it every day you wake up and you're thinking, oh my God, here we go again. Here we go again. And it was actually my fiance who said to me, he was like, I don't want to be that guy that tells you what to do, but will you just quit your job? <laughs> and I was like, no, I can't quit my job. And he went, what do you mean you can't? You can always quit your job. But I think you're definitely taught in the legal world that you can't quit your job. Like, unless you definitely have something else to go to, because, oh my goodness, heaven forbid, there's a gap on your CV. Like, the world would end. So that's what I said to him. I said, you know, but there'll be a gap on my CV. And he was like, so? I said, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. You're not a lawyer. You don't get it. And he was like, I really don't understand how dragging yourself in when you're miserable every single day and hating it is worth this. And I was like, you just don't get it. (laughs) <laughs> and then a few hours later I was like mm. <laughs> and like I, I kind of took a couple of weeks to think about it and I was coming towards the end of my probation so I was thinking I kind of need to decide now whether I finish at the end of my probation or I go into proper employment and then I want a three-month notice period if I do decide to leave um, and it was a fun it was the funniest thing we actually I, I went into the office on the Sunday and cleared my desk 
and like just left what I needed for the Monday but like you know when you've got shoes and crap like that in your desk I just mm. took all that away and on the Monday I went in and I just told one of the female partners and um, because there was a bit of a there was a difficult culture there like um very difficult culture with kind of men and like coming a wee bit coming in drunk after liquid lunches and all this kind of nonsense that you get in a lot of law firms um and I and she was lovely actually and I explained to her look these are all my my issues with this. That behaviour is not okay, um, and I and I I'm not I'm not working here in that in that environment. And she was like, "We know this is a problem, but you know we could we could put you like we're really keen to put you on the partnership track, and you'll be there in a few years' time." And I was like, "Turn! I actually can't think of anything worse. I don't I don't want that. Like I I really just don't want that." And as soon as she said that to me, and I knew I didn't want it, I was like, "This is the right call." Mm. Um, because what are you aiming for then like people stay because they want to be a partner I didn't even want to be a partner um so I just I quit and I took well I was gonna say I took a a few weeks but the next day I woke up and I was like oh my god what have I done um and I had lots of those feelings for the weeks later like relief and then oh my god sheer dread um but then I started freelancing, picked up some work and just like from a lot of like virtual firms that were just kind of getting up and running at that point and just did everything, not really making much money for the first few months, but enough to get by. And then I got in with a firm who gave me tons of work and I stayed like freelancing for them essentially for two years. Um, And I really enjoyed that. And that was a whole host of kind of commercial and corporate work a lot of which I'd done in-house. Um, so it was it was corporate and commercial for small businesses and startups, which is what I focus on now. Did that for a couple of years and then kind of came to the end of that and, and thought, you know, I could actually do this by myself. Um, so then that's when I set up by myself. Wow, amazing. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And um, yeah, I feel you on all those fears that must have come up. And but it just shows like jump and other opportunities will unfold. And I, I love, I really admire how you just you went for it, you knew it was right to quit. It wasn't serving you, it wasn't aligned. Even when you had the offer of partnership, like it's what most people are aiming for. And it, yeah, and it just told you clearly, well, yeah. I don't want that. Yeah, I just thought I do not want to be a partner in this firm. Mm. <laughs> Because then I'm going to have to deal with all this rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) I had a similar thing, actually. I've always been so ambitious. And when I set out on my law career, always like thought I would be partner. That's what I was aiming for. And and my like crux moment was realizing I don't want to be it. So what am I, what am I doing? Yeah. It's mad. It's, It's held up there as like the golden ticket. Like that is what we are all here for every single day. This is why we put ourselves through this. When you, if you actually stop and step back and look at it, like, what are you there for? Like, is is it the prestige? Well, I don't think partners have the same prestige that they used to anyway. Sure. Um, is, it, is it the money? Well, a lot of firms don't pay their partners as well as they used to. But even if they do, there's lots of ways you can make money, and it doesn't need to be this this crap. Like, the partnership model doesn't hugely work well. Like. There's always infighting. 
let's face it, lawyers aren't exactly great managers all the time either. Like, it's just a bit of a shambles a lot of the time, I think. And there was a partner I worked for who I really admired um, when, through my traineeship and when I qualified, um, really admired him and an amazing, amazing lawyer, like had smallest department in the firm, but brought in almost the most revenue. Like he was just incredible. But at 43 years old, I think he was, he told he was told he had a heart problem and he was told that all the muscles in one of his eyes had, were, had dropped and that they weren't working anymore. And it was because he spent, it's because he basically didn't go to sleep for 20 years. Like he basically was just at his laptop or his computer at that point all the time, all the time. And they had like problems at home and like kids, never saw his kids and like, and like, like I just thought, and I looked at him and I was like, really? Is it worth it for the paycheck? Really? Yeah. Like there's lots of ways you can make money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you on all that. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, I was like, it's a no for me. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of the book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by uh, Robin Sharma. It's all about, um, it's basically a personal development book, but through the lens of a story of a lawyer, basically who's super unhealthy, works loads of late hours and eventually... um, like has a heart attack in court in front of everyone. And um, anyway, that led to him basically becoming like selling all his possessions, having this life epiphany and becoming a monk, which obviously is a bit extreme, but the principles there. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the thing is like, I I work mad hours now, but the, the whole point is there is an end to that. Like that hopefully will go on for one more year max and then the business will be at a position where that doesn't have to happen anymore. I feel like with a, with a traditional firm and with partnership, that's just what's always expected. Yeah. It's it's the state quo, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, moving on more to Jameson law, you went on that up and yeah, you've just recruited someone as well, haven't you? Yeah, we have. So um, I'm trying to, like, uh, you know, I can't count. Just, like, proper stereotypical lawyer, can't count. But um, I've got, so I've, had, I've, got, <laughs> I've got four team members at the minute. Um, one's on mat leave. This is why I get it muddled. One's on mat leave. Um, and they're all, um, we've got like a kind of marketing, business development person. We've got ops, kind of HR side, and then uh, graphics um, and dealing with kind of social media side. So we've got them, had them for a while, um, and then we've just taken on a solicitor um, just now. So she joined 10 days ago now. Um, so that's really exciting and a massive yeah. help, a massive help to me. Um, and then we've got a senior solicitor um, who's way more senior than me, way better than me, um, <laughs> and she's joining in September. Amazing. So, so exciting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, and I think, point, oh, sorry, um, no. Um, I'm just curious to know. So, at what point? So, the people you mentioned um, that you already had on board, like business development yeah. and things. At what point did you decide to recruit them? So, did you move from it's just me, I'm doing all the legal work and social media and everything, to right, I'm recruiting these people. I need this help. I recruited the first two very quickly. Um, but they weren't employees. They were like 
I mean, one of them, one of them is my best friend and one of them um, is, well, at the time she was a student. So she just, they both just wanted to pick up a few hours mm-hmm. um, and basically they did a little bit of like mark, like social media marketing for me. No, none of us knew what we were doing. Like we were all just kind of winging it. Um, but they would do maybe like two or three hours a day. And I remember back then thinking like, I actually don't want, my fiance's pushed me for most of this because he was like, you need to hire, you can't do this stuff yourself. I like your fiance. He has great advice. (laughs) But like he's got his own business as well, you see, but he's like, you need to hire before you feel you're ready. Mm. But I'm very much like, oh, but there's no money. Like, so Mm. no, no, no. Um, But at this point I was still freelancing and trying to set this up in the background. So I was, I was very busy. Um, and he was like, you're not going to be able to focus on getting clients in if you're always doing contracts. So they came on, I mean, I like registered the firm in November 2019. And I think they were on by March. Wow. Really early. And then I had them on their own pretty much till like August time. And then I had a solicitor that was on for a while. Um, she's left now. Um, but then I took on kind of HR ops person um, in December. Mm-hmm. So she, she came on then. And, and then one of, one of my girls went on mat leave and then we got a replacement in for her um, and that was me. So, yeah, it's, um, it's been a bit of a whirlwind and I've ended up with way more people than I ever thought I would have. <laughs> um, but I think we'll stop now. Like, I, I like us being small. Yeah. Um, and, and by the end of this, we'll have seven people. And that feels like a nice number. Yeah, yeah, really nice. So was your first year of being all in was 2020 then? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And how did you find that? Did you have like plenty of work? Um, how did you go about, yeah, cultivating? Well, I guess it's the year that a lot of things went yeah. up yeah. shit creek, for want of a better word. So it did generate quite a bit of legal work in some ways. Mm. Do you know... It was the funniest thing because although I set the firm up in November, I didn't really pay that much attention to it because I still had the freelancing going on on the side. Mm. Um, it, it was it was end of February, start of March, so COVID time mm-hmm. when my freelancing work just started going like this. And so not only did I have no money coming in, but I also was like, I've got all this time. And mm. um, so I really started focusing on it. And then what I very quickly realised was that the tech side of the world um, was starting to shoot up and all these tech startups were there and needed help. Um, so just started off do, just doing what we still do now, which is offering legal advice calls and those are totally free and people can come on and ask questions and, and we don't sell. Uh, we never, we never sell. Um, we just genuinely just help people and try and give them some tips. And, and if they want to use our services, they, they will. Um, and it's kind of built from that now a lot of the time people just come on and they're like can you do this contract for me and and it just becomes that and we work a lot on referrals now as well mm-hmm. um, but it's grown it's grown incredibly quickly I mean we went from I mean March time we made a loss and like March 2020 we made a loss and then we were in profit from the May Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been in profit ever since and our revenue is going up every single month um, and it's it's incredible amazing yes. wow well done yeah I was just thinking what a short space of time it's basically been a year and a half basically a like, half. Yeah. amazing you've done so, well. so fast yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, 
yeah what you're saying there about the vibe of your firm I really get that like it comes across in, in social medias you you offer so much value and yeah it's not pushy you're genuinely there you know giving really good guidance via social media and speaking to what your ideal client or what I perceive your ideal client yeah what they want so um could you just share like exactly what what kind of services you do offer and like who is your ideal client how do you help them um so we kind of offer services and I'd say I kind of describe it as four buckets so commercial contracts corporate work GDPR and data protection and then brand protection so your trademarks copyright etc and obviously things will kind of straddle a few of them but those are the the kind of four areas we really focus on Um, and then in terms of like how we provide the services we do everything well we've kind of got two models we do everything on on a fixed fee very transparent very upfront basis so sometimes obviously that means that we're we're burnt but I would kind of rather take the burn than have a reputation of like oh you phoned me there's 500 quid that you owe me now like I'm deliberately trying to stay away from that because I think that I mean we target small businesses and startups right so that that's just going they're not going to trust us they're not going to feel like they can ask us questions and at the end of the day, we're trying to manage legal risk for these people. If they're scared to pick up the phone because they're going to be charged a fortune, that's not managing that legal risk. So we do that like fixed fee. And then for our more kind of longstanding or more sophisticated clients, we have more of a retainer model. So they just kind of have us on demand and that's either for a set, set amount of hours a month or variable. So we kind of just tot it up at the end of the month and let them know what they're at. But yeah, I mean, we, we try and make things very, very clear and very transparent for people. And, and like, not all lawyers are like this, obviously, but unfortunately we have a reputation where we can't be trusted and all we care about is clocking time. So I'm trying my best to, to create a completely different um, impression our, our target clients, I guess, are kind of service providers. We, although we have products, product providers as well, but mainly service providers, a lot in the tech sphere. So we have a lot of kind of software service providers, IT consultants, website developers. But then we have a lot of coaches, loads of coaches. So like mindset, fitness, business coaches, all of those. So mainly on the service provider kind of, two to ten years in business mm. mm-hmm. that is kind of the kind of target client mm, amazing and um yeah I love that you're trying to kind of change the reputation of lawyers or just doing it in a in a values aligned way because I hate when people think that about lawyers and it's like there are mm-hmm. we're humans as well and there's lots of us who actually have really no. good values um, absolutely yeah. but we all get tarred with that that horrible brush because that happened to somebody down the road and they told you about it at the pub and now everyone hates lawyers because of that <laughs> you know, and I just like there are so many of us that aren't like that so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to shift that a little bit mm, yeah love that and um how easy was it for you to kind of set up solo and register um to be regulated as a law firm because I know it's very easy there's a different model in in america and like kind of lots of solo lawyers are popping up 
and yeah. operating on their own. Whereas here, I'd understood you kind of had to freelance via a firm really to do that. And I thought there were a lot of barriers to in in terms of regulation. So the U, you're right. The US is really easy. Like you you don't need to register as a firm. You can just go out and kind of do what you want as long as you're licensed in that state. Um, it, it's very easy in the UK. In Scotland and in England, you can practice non-reserved matters as a consultant and you don't need to be registered. So anything that's not court work, wills and trusts, property, all that scary stuff that I don't like, um, that's all your, your reserved matters. So you have to be a regulated law firm in Scotland or England to provide advice on that. Um, none, nothing we do is a regulated um area it's none of it's a reserved matter having said that we've chosen to be a regulated law firm in scotland and um, not in england mainly because my english qualification came after my scottish one so it kind of just made sense to set up in scotland um but if we were regulated by both the admin and financial burden i think would be quite heavy mm. um but it's not hard to set up like the, the registering as a law firm in Scotland, is this basically the same process as registering as a law firm in England. Um, there's certain things you need to do. You need to fill in some forms and obviously get insurance. Insurance is much more expensive than it is if you're just like a legal consultant. Um, and then you just have to have like letterheads that comply and, and they love letterheads. Like they go on about letterheads for ages. Um, and then you just have to have certain policies and procedures in place. And... Um, we don't operate a client money account because we don't need to. We don't do those types of transactions, which means that we don't need to do things like AML and KYC checks. Um, if we did, we would have to do that stuff, um, but we don't, which is a nice little um, a nice little out from that horrible stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a bigger firm that was offering kind of more services would have to do it, but it's not a big deal. I think it took me three or four months to get set up and regulated in Scotland and... I mean, we, we get inspected every once in a while, um, like in terms from like an accounts perspective, we've got to comply with certain accounts rules. But because we don't operate a client money account, it's, it's really not that different than just operating a normal business. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's definitely more yeah. accessible than I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Sure. So do you offer English law advice? Do you have lawyers on board who are English qualified? Right, okay, England. Well, me, me. So I'm English qualified. um, And so... Oh, of course. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) No, no. From an English perspective, we advise on non-reserved matters. Mm. So we don't bring court action in England. We don't advise on property transactions. But we do corporate, commercial, brand protection, all the same stuff because it's not reserved. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And is yeah. your brand, is, have your qualifications in America been useful for the brand protection things? Do you yes. ever do any of that? Yeah. Yes, because clients always want their US trademark. Um, and you, you only need to be licensed in one state in the States to be able to, to um, register federal trademarks. So it's a service that we can offer clients, which is great. Mm, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So it came full circle when it was a random choice. <laughs> It was a random choice. I know, and then we have a lot of people who are like contracting with US companies, so they're often given like a like a New York law governed contract. So it comes in handy there as well. Mm. Amazing, awesome, cool. Well, we're coming to the end, so I'd love to ask you a couple of questions that I ask every guest. So, 
<laughs> Firstly, um, if you could go back and, and have a chat with that earlier version of Barbara, who's still in private practice, but feeling off to say the least, yeah. what advice would you give her now with the benefit of your experience on the other side? What did she need to know? I'd probably say like, and this does no favours for womankind, but I'd probably say like, don't get so emotional about it. Like, don't get so tied, like tied up and caught up in it. Don't, don't be upset because a partner said something horrible to you or upset because you feel like you've been overlooked because I don't give shit now. (laughs) I don't care. And if I'd have known that I was eventually going to carve out my own journey and create something that was, in my opinion, better than where I was, and it is better for me, um, I wouldn't have cared so much. But back then it was the be all and end all and what the partner thought about you was all you cared about. And I just wish I, I, I wonder if this is a 20s thing, like Mm -hmm. you just don't have the same perspective as you do when you're, you're older and you've been in different workplaces and you've had different experiences, like the things that feel awful, at the time are not and I wish I wish I'd had that perspective Mm. but I guess I got the time yeah definitely oh thanks that's awesome advice and any kind of students or junior lawyers listening will yeah I think that's an awesome snippet of advice I'd tell that to my younger self as well and I think you're (laughs) right you can get so emotionally involved I think it's so connected because you're probably still at that point where you do want to make partnership and you're trying to make good impressions and this is life and it's all part of your identity being a lawyer and everything that's associated with it it's like there are so many emotional ties yeah and yeah, you're right. Yeah. Stepping back and having different experiences just makes you go, oh, it wasn't that much of a bigger deal. And yeah, you just give less yeah. shits, really. Yeah. I also think like you just, you're not long out of school and stuff like that at that point, really. Um, so you're, you're just used to somebody bigger and better than you telling you what to do and wanting to impress them. And I think when you get a bit more experience, you just realize that actually everybody's just doing their best and some people have more experience than others but in that one bit whereas you might have more experience than them in this bit and everybody's got something to bring to the table and it's it's kind of it's just perspective that's what it is it's it's enough experience to have perspective Mm, love that and what makes you legally different oh I just don't think I'm a normal lawyer in any way (laughs) (laughs) what makes me legally different? Um, I just like to be extremely upfront and almost overly helpful to clients. I just can't sleep at night. It sounds so cliched, right? It really does. But I can't sleep at night knowing that I haven't done the best for my client. And and I think that's something that is it, it's kind of hammered home at uni and things like that and in your traineeship. But you don't really you don't really care about it. You just think. I've always got to act to the best interest of the client. I know that. But I, th- I think now it really is probably the main thing that guides me. And and that comes down to speaking to them in plain English and letting them WhatsApp me and text me if they need it and cry down the phone as we've had several times if they need it. But And just being really, really fair and transparent with fees. Um, at the end of the day, I'd rather take a hit in my pocket than feel like I'd screwed someone over 
Um, and I think as long as we always focus on that as a firm, as long as we focus on that philosophy, I, I think we'll be doing, we'll be going in the right direction. Mm, yeah. I can tell you're really passionate about the work you do and your firm and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it funny. Really it's what like, drives you. Well, no one, no one ever, like, no one ever says this about commercial contracts. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, 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 do you know what it is? It's the amount of time I've spent with small businesses and startups. And it's like, oh, I, I pulled together my, my 3,000 pounds and I went to this lawyer and I said, like, please, will you help me? And, and they did something like, I've had clients who've been laughed out the door because they're too small, so they're not interested in helping them, eh, like bigger firms. Or um, they said, yeah, I'll take your three grand and I'll draft the contract. And, oh, you want that bit changed? No, no, that's more money. Um, and I get it. Everybody has different fees and big firms have to charge big fees and they have big clients and I get that. Um, and that's, it's not really the big firm's fault. Um, the, it's the fault of like the smaller firms not being there to fill the gap almost and, and at least smaller clients a bit disenfranchised. Mm. So trying to fill that gap a bit. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I think we're quick to like criticize the bigger firms, but they're doing their thing and they are getting quite a certain clients, yeah, aren't they? Right. It's like, it's time yeah. for like smaller firms, us to step up. Like if, if you're not yeah. happy in a big firm, create your own and like offer be the change you want to see in the world. I love that. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not the big firm's responsibility. It's 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 a gap in the market. Mm. And by gap. doing that, you do if there's areas that you think, oh, the big law firms aren't doing it quite right or whatever, by creating smaller firms, you are adding competition into the mix. That then may that's the way you may encourage change. I guess, yeah. Yeah, it was actually um, the other day I was instructed on a corporate matter and um, I have no idea what my fees were compared to the big firm that quoted, although I'm sure they were much lower. Um, but the one of the partners at the big firm actually approached me on LinkedIn and, and was like, oh, I hear you're working with this client. And I thought, well, look at me disrupting. Like, <laughs> oh, no. Like they've never heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. High five. Awesome. That was a little win. <laughs> yes. Amazing. And um, I know we touched on this when we spoke before, but as you know, one of my, one of the things I'm passionate about is, is human design. And yeah. we looked up your human design when we initially connected and you're a projector, which is the same yeah. as me. And they are here to like they're pioneers. They basically see things in a different way. They see solutions. They see the bigger picture and can see what needs to change. And that's really one, one of their gifts. So I can definitely see that coming through in you. Yeah. It's so funny. I would never have put myself as that at all um, until the last few years. It's funny yeah. how you grow into yourself, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Yeah. If you just allow yourself to be more you, like yeah. you genuinely shine more and you see more of your gifts. Yeah, 100%. I can definitely see that. <laughs> cool. So um, if people want to connect with you, find out more about uh, Jameson Law, your services, yeah. what's the best way? Um, probably web, my website. It's actually just been redone. So um, it'll hopefully be looking snazzy for the time um, anybody goes on it. But it's jamesonlaw.legal. 
um, and you can contact me on there. We've also got like a big free resources section. So um, loads of good info in there, loads of like kind of master classes and trainings. But also we've got a like a brand protection guide, which you can download and it's really helpful for small businesses um, if they want to kind of run through the step by step as to how they should be like protecting their brand as they grow and scale. Um, so have a look at that. Amazing. Thank you. And yeah, and I follow you on Instagram and um, yeah, love the content you put out and, and your visuals and everything. So yeah, that's thank you. Awesome. Thank you. That's definitely a lot of that is my team. So I'm not going to take credit for that. But <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, so good to chat. Um, awesome. Thank, thank you. you for coming on. No, no, thank you. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I speak soon. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to hear more about the Legal Leverage Framework and access some free resources, including free guides and trainings, pop over to our website, which is jamesonlaw.legal and click on free resources. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Tune into our next episode to learn more about how to grow and scale your business the right way.